Hey, it's Barbara Phillips with NPBO, and I wanted to give you a heads up on a webinar that we have coming up Thursday, May 16th, and it will be with a certified healthcare privacy person who has been in charge of a very large healthcare organization and their privacy compliance, HIPAA, and all of that sort of thing. And I think it's very important that all clinicians attend this one because HIPAA affects all of us. And so you can get more information about that at npbusiness.org forward slash privacy matters. And just another quick heads up after that, in June, we'll be talking with someone who has been in charge of the IT compliance to protect the organization. And so this one will be geared toward how do you protect yourself as well as your practice. And I'll be sharing more information about that later. So let's move on with the podcast. This is the NP Business Matters podcast, episode number 12 with Yvonne Darcy and Deb Kiley on book writing. to the NP Business Matters podcast. I'm your host, Barbara C. Phillips, founder of Nurse Practitioner Business Center and the Clinician Business Institute. Before I get into today's episode, I want to invite you to do three things. First, head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast and make sure that you're subscribed. Secondly, please leave your feedback. It really helps us and it helps other people find us. And finally, visit npbusiness.com forward slash podcasts for the show notes, resources, and links. Not only for today's episode, which you'll find is going to be important to do, but for all of our episodes. Writing a book is something on the list of many individuals, yet as soon as we sit down and are faced with a blank piece of paper or a blank screen, we wonder, oh my goodness, where should I start? A lot of people are just overwhelmed right from the get-go, and they don't ever fulfill that particular dream. Today, I'm talking with Yvonne Darcy and Deb Kiley, whose new book, Pain Management in Primary Care, Essential Knowledge for APRNs and PAs, was just released by Springer Publishing. Yvonne is a respected expert, the author of numerous books on this particular topic, and is a sought-after speaker on pain management for the inpatient as well as outpatient setting. Deb Kiley, who we heard from in episode number four, also practices pain management from a more holistic point of view. We talk about the work that goes into writing a book, how to create that schedule and discipline about having a publisher, and so much more. Make sure that you're listening all the way through so that you can learn about the time-limited offer that Springer Publishing has made available for this particular book. That coupon code is going to be good until December 31st, 2020 for 25% off. So let's go ahead and get started. So, so many people want to write a book and very few people actually do it. It's, it's seen as this huge process. And Yvonne, I know you've written a lot of books in the past and the two of you have now collaborated in your latest book on 
pain management in primary care. So how did that come about? How did you collaborate? How did you come up with the idea to do this and then move forward and actually complete it? And it's now published. Well, that's a really interesting question, Barbara. It really is because Deb and I talked about this for, I guess, maybe three or four years uh, about writing this book, but we realized it was so comprehensive. We all kind of backed off from it a little while. Um, and then what happened is we realized that as we were going around and talking to primary care audiences, that there was a big demand for the topic. Um, and so we finally bit the bullet and decided that we were going to um, develop a book to be published. Um, Deb wasn't quite so sure she wanted to do it, <laughs> but I encouraged her um, because I think she had so much to offer to the integrative section of the book. And she was great at proofreading my chapters to make sure that I was on track. So um, I think it was something that was just it was the time for this book, I guess, is what I would say. I would agree. And oh, go ahead, Barb. No, I was I was just going to say so. So you you guys came together and said, okay, it's time to do this. Then, then what's that process of actually just sitting down and it? it are you divvying up chapters, or did you have other guest writers, or, I mean, just when you approach a topic like that, especially when there's two of you, how? How do you divvy that up? Well, that's another interesting question because um, for the person that's had experience, they kind of know the ins and outs. So I actually had experience with the public publisher of this book and I knew their process. So I told Deb what we were going to have to do is develop a plan um, for the chapters, a table of contents to submit with a proposal. So you develop a proposal, um, you put your information in, and then you give it to the editor who then takes it to the editorial board for the publisher. And they decide whether they want to publish your book or not. So when Deb and I sat down to do the table of contents, we kind of went through what we thought should be included in the book. Um, and we kind of collaborated on saying, well, maybe this should go in or maybe that should go in. Um, I was interested in some of the aspects that she had to put in. Um, so, and then I took like the Reiki chapter because I, I'm trained in Reiki. So it was just whoever had the expertise or the interest in doing the chapter <laughs> um, took that section. And I took a little more because as the more experienced writer in a book development, um, I kind of knew where these chapters should go, and I had written some of the material before, so I had to update it and put it together, um, and Deb came through. So, yeah, we, de we developed a table of contents, and we divided the chapters. And what we did was, it, it's important to note that Yvonne was in Florida, and I was in Alaska. <laughs> So we collaborated sometimes on the phone, sometimes on email. And so this table of contents was developed over time with us so massaging it. And, well, what about this? And, oh, I forgot that. And let's add this. No, we don't need that. And then going back with the editor. So it was um, technology made it pretty seamless. Um, and I would say that the first thing you have to do is decide that you are going to do this and you've made a commitment. And so it has to be done because it's not for the faint of heart. 
Yvonne talks about it like, yeah, well, you just do this and this and this and this, right? And that's the way it is with anything that, you, that you've that you done a lot of times and, and you know how it goes. Um, I never would have done this without Yvonne. I wouldn't even have started it without Yvonne. And I'm really grateful that, you know, we were able to do it together. And she was pretty persistent that it needed to happen because um, she's all about legacy. <laughs> well, and that we owe this, you know, to, to put it down and, and have people. And um, I think it's important to also say that it's the book we wished we'd had mm-hmm. when we started. If you remember back when you did your first couple pa- patients with pain and you were just wondering what the heck to do next, that's what this book will help you then and then forward. Because the more you know, the more you know you don't know. For all the books I've written, I hope that people take something into their practices and use it um, from the books, that it's really, they're small and concise, so they can take them into the office and quickly use them as a reference. So um, I just, I knew that Deb could do it, but with writing, it's like any other skill. The more you do it, the better you get at it. And I think Deb hadn't written for a while. <clears throat> so I think she had to kind of find her groove, mm-hmm. if that's the best way to say it. <laughs> well, I th- yeah, it's like anything. It, you, you have to get back on the bike and, and to do it. But, um, you know, having myself written, a ch- I mean, I've done a lot of writing, but it doesn't always fall under what would be considered scholarly writing. Um, but I know the textbook chapters I have done, for me, even that has been painful. And yet I can sit down and write out a course, a lecture, an article, and I don't have that much of a problem. So for professional publication, it they're all looking for this scholarly writing, right? Um, well, I'll tell you, they're looking for evidence-based. Okay. So, so for me, that's okay. Um, Deb's areas had, she had to scramble a little bit to find some really good, and she did, she found some really good current material to use in her chapters. But, um, when I worked at Mayo Clinic, I had a mentor who said to me, don't come to me and tell me you want to do X, Y, or Z with the patient unless you've got the evidence to show me. So every time I'd say, well, we should try this medication, he'd say, well, what's the evidence? Or every time I'd say, well, I think this is what it is, he'd say, what's the evidence? So I became so clearly evidence-based that (laughs) I'll tell you, it was um, an easy thing for me to convert that mentality to writing for me. So I found it to be very comfortable that way. Okay. So um, I know that... um, Deb noticed that about me right away, <laughs> that I wanted the references. <laughs> the, the first time we worked together was, uh, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, maybe now. Yeah. Uh, AANP, which was the academy at that time, uh, was doing a, a course that they wanted written and where they provide, you know, we create the hard materials and then deliver the course. And it was on um, safe pain management in uh, older adults. And so they asked Yvonne and I to collaborate on that. I'd never met her. I didn't know who she was. And I I found out very quickly that everything was going to be referenced (laughs) to the ninth degree. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
yeah. I see where we are here. And it, it's worked out well. It's worked out well. I'll tell you, when you write a book, um, they send it to an editing service who goes through and makes sure that everything that should be referenced is referenced. So it's important just to do it from the start. It saves lots of time and heartache. So if you're writing, it's just much easier to put in the references and make sure that everything's covered, that you don't come up with um, basically your own opinions on things, that it be more standard, because people are going to use this in practice. So you have to make sure that what you have is based on the current literature um, on the topic. So it's better to just reference it right off the bat. So when you're looking at at referencing everything, especially if you're looking at an area that is changing a lot, how is there a way to allow for that when you're writing a book? Because a book is not, you don't sit down and write a book every week or every month to update things. So how are there certain things that somebody should be thinking about to keep things up to date, if you will? What I... What I, what I kind of reference in the books is current literature states, you know, the database of literature states that this is the current process. Um, uh, and if there are some developing things, like I had the new CAPA tool, which is the functional pain assessment, um, which I did indicate that was something that was developing. And there are things in pain management that are developing all the time. So you need to make allowances for that. But I, I just usually reference it as currently this is the process or currently this okay. is the guideline. And that's one of the things that we did include at the end of each chapter. We had um, a, a case study and references, but right before that, trending. So that something we're looking at now mm-hmm but we don't have anything yet. And so it's not specific, do this, mm-hmm. but it's watch for this. So it's a hint as to what you might want to look for in 21. Or right, 22. right. And if, that must be really helpful for people too that are, are reading these things. It gives them an idea that things are continuing to really evolve. Because sometimes I think, um, you know, I mean, it's a statement that I always used when I would hear particularly students say, that's not what it says in the book. And it's like our patients don't read the books <laughs> and things change. And sometimes some of us get stuck in what's actually written in the day and not forward thinking with this is what it says. But I, so I like that idea. These are trending and this is what to watch for just as a hint to expand mm-hmm. our minds a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that took some pressure yeah. off. Because you want to include everything, which you can't. Um, but at least if you can, you know, take a, be sure to check here, look at that, follow this. It makes you feel yeah. a little better. Yeah. Yeah. No kitchen sinks in books. Right. <laughs> right. So in I, I, one thing that hit me when you were saying this early on about the coming up with the table of contents, it's just like with anything, it's planning, Right. It's planning this whole process. Mm-hmm. And when you start that plan, and as you said, you can't put everything in the kitchen sink, are you also at the same time thinking about, oh, this is in the next book or the next book? Especially, Yvonne, since you've written so many. Well, <laughs> when I did this series, it was really easy to do that. 
because if I wanted to talk about gender specific issues, I knew that there was going to be a pain management book up for pain in women. Or if I was doing a acute pain book, I knew there would be a chronic pain book. And so I could kind of put off topics. I would mention it, but put off topics that were more timely for a different book. I've done a book on pain in the elderly, which I thought was pretty good. Um, it won the uh, American Journal of Nursing Award <clears throat> in 2010, and so did our cancer pain book that I wrote with. Oh, it was Pam Davies. Um, yeah, I wrote it with Pam, and we got an American Journal of Nursing Award for that, too, a book of the year. So you can kind of plan the things that you want to put in there by what you can find in the literature, too. So, for example, if um, you wanted to put in something about new interventional techniques for pain management, um, you knew that that was kind of coming along. I guess the only thing you have to do is make sure that you don't catch something that's fly-by-night that might not apply. Um, and Deb did a great job of that in addressing some of the myths with her section and for the nutraceuticals and the supplements and so on. And and as well in some of the interventional things, because one of the the things that I found is that while um, rigorous evidence is required for anything that's integrative, uh, sometimes in the high tech realms, the evidence is not quite as stringent. When you start really looking into the studies, and you know there were three patients, and now you know this or that is being done, and so um, really looking at is this procedure, and we've all seen in, in the pain world, procedures that were really hot, and then where are they? When's the last time you saw an XYZ? Um, and 10 years ago, they were everywhere. So it, it kind of covers just about anything, but the, the integrated people are held to a much higher standard. Now, earlier you talked about, um, you talked about the fact that it was, um, a real time-consuming kind of all-engaging endeavor. And I just want to tell you that I have spent numerable days, months, years tied to a computer in a small office writing these books. So I always know that it's going to be a battle to the end because I have to set myself on a schedule where I write so much every day. Um, and I lay out an, an, um, an outline for the chapter, and I kind of go through it sequentially. But I can tell you that anybody who wants to write a book, and I think Deb can attest to this too, it's going to try your patience, and it's going to take a lot longer than you thought it was going to be, and can take up to a year or more to write a book, such as what we have there today. So it's not, as uh, you said, it's not for the faint of heart to, to go into this, but, but worth, worth it. it. But it is it is worth it if and you know, as far as I'm concerned, um, at this point in my career, this the material in this book has been accumulating for decades mm -hmm. in my head, and my perspective came from my head, and so that's part of it. You know, sometimes you need a certain amount of time. It's kind of like you don't do your um, autobiography when you're thirty. No. I think I've seen a few out well, there. Well, I wouldn't. <laughs> yes. But, you know, it has different meaning I'm when right it's later. It, it's a, 
It's, it's very satisfying, though. I can remember when I was working in a hospital, one of the case managers had, um, and I developed a template for use in the hospital, and we wrote an article about it. And we got on the, the telephone on a joint call <clears throat> with the editor from the company that was publishing it, the magazine that was publishing it. And the editor called her an author. And she said, the authors. And that she was so astounded. She said, somebody called me an author. She said, I'm an author. That is, that's so amazing. I never imagined I could be an author. So she was very excited about that. And when you first put the new book in your hand and you look at it, it's kind of like yeah. birthing a baby. It's like <laughs> you've had this project going on for so long and, and like, here it is. So even though it takes a long time and it's a lot of trouble and, and grinding away, um, once you have it done, it's nice. And, and I would say that the uh, labor analogy is quite correct. That's how it felt as we were getting towards the end, <laughs> the labor that won't end. Uh, I think one of, the, one of the things that helped is that we had collaborated before. So I mentioned the first time. Um, and we were writing. And then since then, we've collaborated on multiple um, projects, some pretty standard as far as giving a talk together at a national meeting um, or doing innovative things to present information, uh, generally in the pain arena. Um, but, so we knew each other's style and we were used to give and take. And I think that's one of the key things with collaboration is there's give and take. And even though your peers and colleagues, somebody's got to be in charge. Somebody's got to be the lead. And the logical person to be the lead is the one with more experience. Right. So it would, it would not have worked well if I had suggested to Yvonne how we were going to do this. It just it wouldn't have ended up well. It wouldn't have ended up at all. Um, it would end up really fast. Um, so, so, um, you know, that's, I think a key part of collaboration is that people have mutual respect and, um, expertise that's in the same range, but acknowledging that, you know, you each have strengths and weaknesses, mm -hmm. but somebody has to take right. the lead always. And sometimes um, when there's a disagreement, um, you have to work things out because you have to continue working on the book. So it has to be smoothed over um, and decided. So for my new authors, um, for people that I hadn't collaborated with in the past that I was going to be writing a book with, I asked for their CV. Um, and then I would send the CV into the editor for the book and have her review it. And then we would talk and decide whether this candidate was a good candidate for a co-author. And then I would offer the project to um, the new co-author of the book and kind of give them a highlight of what it was going to be like <laughs> so that they understood what they were actually getting into. If they didn't want to make a time commitment of nine to 12 months, well, then maybe they weren't the right one. So um, you just have to kind of... Um, I can't say use your gut, but you have to kind of assess what you want to do and who might be a good fit to do it with. Um, and it, for me, it never has always meant that I've collaborated with the person before, but I had confidence in the skill and expertise of the person that I was doing it with that 
they would be able to pull it through the finish line. So a, a couple of, of questions. When you, um, when you say that you ask for the CV and you send it in, what is it that you all are looking for? Are you just looking for that clinical expertise because your books are clinically based? So are you looking for the clinical expertise and the experience or what are you looking for? That's one thing. I'm also looking for people who write. So if they've written articles or they have a master's degree, I know they've been writing if they've Uh been through a master's program. So if I have a nurse practitioner or a CNS who's been through some kind of an advanced practice program, I know that they should be able to put words on paper that make sense. So (laughs) that's kind of what I look at. And then somebody that seems like they're truly interested in it. I had somebody who was really interested in writing with me and really wanted to write a book, but she just couldn't ever get um, the information to me that I needed to be confident she really wanted to do it. And then eventually she said to me, it's just not for me. She came to the understanding herself. Well, just the fact that she wasn't getting getting that stuff to you would have been a red flag. Yep. How much time did each of you devote to this? Was it like on a daily basis, a weekly basis? I mean, did you spend, you know, five hours a day just writing two hours a day or just over the week you wanted to make sure that you got in, you know, 10 hours or or whatever? I have no idea. I usually tried to write every day, Um, but there was a time that I got sick. So I got COVID um, and I was down Mm -hmm. for six weeks. So coming back to writing, it was um, a little bit difficult because I couldn't concentrate when I first started going back to it. So um, I usually tried to write, but by the end of the week, I usually had a goal. So if I wanted to finish the chapter by the end of the week, I had to keep writing during the week in order to make that happen. And Deb, what about you? How did you allocate that time? And yeah, I wish I was that organized. Um, I was so you sound normal. I was more deadline driven. Yeah, so so I would think about it. You know, I would I'd do my research and I'd be futzing around and taking lots of notes. And again, as Yvonne said, I had to find my groove. Um, so it. Pick, you know, it got more efficient as I as I proceeded, at, which is encouraging. Um, but having deadlines like this has to be in this date, and um, it generally was. You know, it, it gets done, and part of that's important for people who have this problem with, um, well, like, just give me a couple more days, it'll be better. You know, done is done is more than better. <laughs> And so um, for me, and then at the end, it was, I was probably writing 13 hours a day as, as it was like, okay, you got to get it done. And, um, and at that particular time, it was, I think, running around 20 below um, at our house for several weeks. So it was extra brutal, but it got done. (laughs) Well, when we first started out, I realized that I was getting a red flag from Deb because she kept sending me all these interesting articles she was finding. This is so interesting. This is so great. This is so wonderful. And I'd say, but 
what are you writing? <laughs> Where's the writing piece to this? So she was very enamored of the literature. She really liked that piece. So I had to put her back on track and say, now we need to produce this chapter <laughs> um, because the, the editors will set um, deadlines for you. They will tell you when they need to have half the book, when they need to have the whole book or whatever. They will tell you when they want it done. So you're working always against a clock. And that works to have a deadline. I think it does. Especially if you, if your word is important to you. If I give you my word, it'll be done on Tuesday. It'll be done on Tuesday. Not Monday, but right. Tuesday. Right. But also that deadline is what we, um, wh what we've grown up with, if you will. I mean, when you go to school, you have a deadline. You know, when you are seeing patients, you have a deadline. You have so many people you have to see a day. So I think... We're wired, if you will, for deadlines, certainly trained to meet deadlines, most of us anyway. I did have one author who I would say, you need to have the chapters in. And I would get her chapters and I'd send them into the editor. And um, a couple of days later, she'd say, well, here's the new revisions on this chapter. It's like, no, no, that is not how it works. <laughs> Fortunately, the editor was very forgiving and took the new chapters. But, you know, when you have a deadline with an editor, they kind of expect that when you present it to them, it's the finished product. You know, these days, there seems to be a lot of people who want to self-publish versus going with a publishing house. Do you have any thoughts on that, either of you? Well, <clears throat> I do. <laughs> um, I would never self-publish. Um, and the reason I would never self-publish is um, it doesn't have as much credibility. Um, and even though you might think it does, when people see that it's self-published, um, there is a kind of a limit to the way they feel about that. They're not they're expecting it not to be as finished as something that came from a publishing house. And I will tell you that the publishers are very astute in what they do. They have a whole core of people who look at this stuff and tell you what they think is right, wrong. They correct your grammar. They put stuff in that's, you know. So if you're self-publishing, you're relying on your ability to do that for yourself. And I think sometimes the product comes up a little short. So I myself would never do that because of the maybe the topic. Um, if I was writing something a little bit less um, clinical, maybe, but for myself, no. Now, I belong to a writer's group, and there are a lot of them that self-publish, and so they're finding it to be very satisfying. Yeah, I would think, I would hope that anybody, you had mentioned, you know, people looking at it, but I would hope that anybody who self-publishes has an editor. I know that that's not exactly true. Not everybody does that, but it just you know, just in the writing that I do, I know I don't see everything. You know, I can't see that maybe I've written this word and used something or, you know, just it's off. The grammar's off. The punctuation is off. And I don't see it because in my head I'm typing. You know, you've seen it so much you become blind. Is that a better way to put it? <laughs> Yeah, and you become accustomed to what you you know what you want to say, so you right. fill it in. <laughs> exactly, missed, that's it. <laughs> missed it, but I I tell you what, Deb and I did. We actually uh, moved the chapters back and forth, 
after we finished a chapter, we shared it with the other one so that we could kind of look at it. And Deb would say to me, well, maybe you want to add something about this in there, or maybe you want to talk about this, or she didn't like one of the case studies. She thought it was a little too complex. So, I mean, those kinds of things are helpful. And I don't think you'd get that when you're self-publishing. I don't think you'll get it when you're self-publishing, but also then if you don't have a co-author to bounce these things back and forth. That's probably a big issue as well, isn't it? Um, not so much for me, because um, when I started out writing the books, um, I had good editors. Um, I wrote a book for Sigma Theta Tau. The editing was excellent. Um, I've written for Springer repeatedly, and the editing is always excellent. So they'll let you know. The one, the only problem I ever had is I had one editor who wanted to do things like if it was a pain tool that was um, validated and published, she'd go in and try to change the verbiage inside the tool. It's like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> the tool has to stand as it is. <laughs> it's published and validated. So um, you have to be on your toes to make sure what they're asking for is what you're looking for in your editor. I think for this book, uh, for a book on pain um, in in primary care, it's such a team sport that uh, pain management is such a team sport that um, it's useful to have um, a colleague to work on it with. And again, you know, the collaboration extended past each other. Um, we both know experts. So as an example, Barbara, if you remember, uh, I am familiar with hypnosis, uh, but you're the expert. And so I did reach out to you to make sure that I covered what needed to be in the chapter section that talked about hypnosis. And I reached out to acupuncture to find out who are really the the, the key experts. So you're putting in the best possible information. And I think that really kind of summarizes up how you manage pain. You have to have a very, very big toolbox. You do. You have to have a lot of colleagues that you can rely on. Um, I contacted somebody for the information on MAT because I really have not used um, a MAT protocol in my practice, but I wanted to make sure I got it right. And she was very kind to send me two of her articles and gave me all the information I needed. So you have to look for people um, who are going to be willing to help you. Right, right. And it seems to me that it's not just in pain that you need that. You need that all the way around in almost any topic because there isn't one expert for everything. I would say that's true. You know, it's it, it, the whole thing is a team sport. Yeah. All of healthcare is a team <laughs> sport. So for someone who then is has the idea, I want to write a book on XYZ whether it's it's clinical or not, but they just have an idea to write a book. So they start with what, an outline? Or do they start by looking for the publisher first? What you'd have to do is send a letter of intent. You send a letter of intent to the publisher and say, I am interested in writing a book on cardiac arrhythmias, let's just say. And so um, they will put that information in a letter and they can maybe attach an outline so they can see and maybe a CV. And then it's up to the editor editor to forward it to their editorial board or not. And each of the editors has a formula that they use. <clears throat> they, um, 
they have certain criteria that they want you to give them before they give their okay. So um, you just follow that through, submit it, and then they make the decision whether they want to publish you or not. And I wouldn't be too unhappy if I got a no the first time. I'd take it back, revise it, and send it back in or attempt with another editor. On mm-hmm. mm-hmm. someone who hasn't written before, first-time author, and they're sending this stuff in, I mean, you hear about uh, general writers that you're going to get rejections and rejections and rejections until you get somebody who says yes. Um, how... You know, so for instance, if I was going to write a book, let's just say I was going to write a book on medical hypnosis. I've never written a book on medical hypnosis. I send in all of my stuff, but would I, should I expect to be, get rejections, you know, maybe the first 10 or something or or what, what's normal for a first time author? Um. I hate to say, because I've never had a rejection, so I, I don't know, but I would tell you the first thing you have to do is look and see if there's already a book written. So for hypnosis, I happen to know that Springer has one, mm-hmm. so th- they would not co-publish another one on hypnosis unless it took a different um, aspect of it. So it would be um, hypnosis for um, children or hypnosis for adults with PTSD or something that was more specific. Mm -hmm. So um, you can't expect to get rejected, but that doesn't mean it's a bad idea. You just have to make sure that you go to somebody who's going to be, and you would want to work with somebody who's going to be open to what you're offering. So, Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I I think um, to me, a a no is just a no and, um, and you move on to the next and you change and you revise and, you know, there, it's like that whole idea of there's no failures, you know, it's you, it's a lesson. Okay. Maybe I need to do this different or that different. Um, So again, the person first starting out, they would go find themselves, um, a publisher, they would do the CV, they would do the outline, they'd send the letter of inquiry. And if they get an acceptance, then then they start writing. Is that, would that be the process? Once you get the acceptance, you have to agree, you have to sign a contract. So they'll send you a contract, you have to sign a contract. And it clearly lays out all the expectations on the editor's part that it will be done in a timely manner, the topic, um, the length of the book, the size of the book, everything. So it's clearly laid out in the contract. So once you have the contract, then you can start writing. But I think it would be kind of futile to write before you got your contract because you wouldn't know what they were looking at for, um, say, in our chapters, we have the material, then we have the trending, then we have the case study, um, and then we have some questions at the end that kind of clarify the thinking of what we chose in the case study for the intervention. So, you know, they're going to tell you what they expect from you, and you have to follow the outline that they give you. Are there any other pearls of wisdom for people who just want to get started writing? Well, Deb may have a, a different perspective on that because she just started, this was her first attempt you know, trial for a book. So um, what would you say, Deb? I would say if you have something that you really want to share, 
and and that you have an expertise in you have to write it you have to write you know you have to you have to start by actually putting fingers to keyboard or pen to paper and um i would say if i was looking to start this and again you know um ivan was rather persistent that i was going to do this it was clear that it was going to happen and it was just a matter of time because she's pretty relentless and i'm very grateful for that um but i'd still be thinking about it you know that would be a good thing for me to do one of these days um write it down and then look for somebody that you trust and who have you given a reason to want to share their time with you and say what do you think i want to go ahead and do this and then um the question i would have is i would not know where to find a publisher you know we're with springer which is a big publisher they knew you i don't think i would have been with springer by myself so ivan i don't know how that would work where do you where would you look for you know where do you start well i used to work with lippincott as well so i know that lippincott elsevier and springer are the big healthcare publishers for nurses so i would choose one of those three who didn't have a book on the topic i was looking for and deb is absolutely right you have to sit down and start writing you do you can't just sit there and think about it you actually have to put hands to paper or hands to the keyboard and start writing and there's a value in the written word when i was very very new to pain management um somebody wanted me to write for a lippincott nursing journal and i said well i don't i don't know you know i have this big pain service i'm following and i don't, and she said you know what you can go and present for an hour and that's gone she says it's gone that after the hour it's gone she said but when you write it's there forever so you have to think about what it is what's your motivation do you want to help other nurses do you want to help other professionals learn about your area or um are you just interested in putting something out there for a brief little period so i thought about it and i thought well i guess i can i guess i can do this article because i have this great big pain service and i i i deal with epidurals all the time and at the time we had walking epidurals for birthing mothers which was a hot thing <laughs> so um she said you need to write this article because what you're doing there is so unique and so um that's how i actually got started writing um but it's important to just do it <laughs> so tell us about your book we've talked about it a little bit primary care uh, pain management for primary care but what if someone is interested in primary care or just getting started or excuse me if they're interested in pain management which anybody who works in primary care in my opinion should be doing pain you know you have pain management that's what your people come in for a lot of the time but but what can they expect when they open this book you mentioned reiki and integrative uh, supplements but but what else is is in the book well there i kind of have a little format for when i write a book and i start out with discussing the problem so what is the problem with pain management in primary care Does everybody know that if a patient is on opioids and they approach a new primary care practice that 80% of the practices will not take them as a new patient? 
Probably not. So you look for interesting facts about pain management and primary care. And so I started that as the first chapter, the introduction. Then I went through the basics. I go through assessment. I go through how pain is processed. I go through the medications. And in this book, I went through some legal issues and regulatory things um, so that people would understand what the issues were there. And um, we, we had some motivational interviewing in there. We have a chapter on that. Um, we have to create a plan for your patient. What's, do, what's good documentation? And then um, Deb has a whole bunch of chapters about interesting areas that she practices in. You want to share that, Deb? So one, the key, you know, the motivational interviewing where you have the patient engaged as a member of the team. And this, the, one of the things about this book is it's very much patient-focused with the evidence and the team concept and how to put together your own team, which you may or may not be in the same health system. And you may be in a health system and have team members outside. And who can help you with these patients beyond the obvious? You need to have a surgeon that you trust. You need to have a physical therapist you trust. You need a psychiatric nurse practitioner that you know, uh, an acupuncturist, whatever the patient, and identify what the patient is looking for. And that's a, a thread through the, through the book that this is going to depend on where you live, what the patient knows, what the patient wants, what the patient can afford, and the problem the patient has. And so all of those things, there's different, it's, it's not a one size fits all. So it's very much designed to help you find what's best for your patient. And so we have an extensive, Yvonne is an expert in opioids, safe opioid prescribing, how opioids work, what dosing and all of that. And that's included. And then we include the non-opioid treatments, whether it's legend drugs, supplements, lifestyle interventions, um, you know, and of course, physical therapy. Uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting, when I, when I present, I get very often asked how to convert patients from one drug to another. So I have a whole chapter on conversion, which I think is going to be very helpful. But Deb put some things in there. Um, she was talking, she kept sending me these articles about Kratom. I thought, what is Kratom? <laughs> so she has things in there about that and about different um, herbs and uh, supplements that are helpful. Um, a lot about, you put some yoga in there and what else did you put in there for the mind-body? Pilates, uh, meditation, mindfulness, aromatherapy, hypnosis, CBT, so, and it's not necessarily that you're going to refer patients for these things, but they may ask you about them. So the Kratom is an example. You know, it's a hot topic. The DEA and the FDA were planning to um, make them illegal, and that's kind of gone back and forth and, and whatnot. Uh, CBD. So you may or may not use these things in your practice, but it's important to be able to look it up if a patient asks you about it. 
And so each of the chapters has a case study that refers to the topic. And in the case study, it's kind of a common patient that you might see in your office. And then there are questions at the bottom of it that we provide the answers to and the rationale so that they can kind of figure out, oh, so that's why they think this might work for this patient. I wouldn't have chosen that, but let me go back to the chapter and see where they mention that. So um, I think that's very helpful. Well, it certainly sounds like a book that I would have wanted, um, both when I was in primary care and actually when I had a pain practice. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to have access to the University of Washington's pain center um, to get to get some help with when I needed it, you know, to call them up and say, hey. What about this? What about that? So that was um, that was helpful. But it sounds like the book is a something that we should all probably consider. And I believe um, you said that there was that people could get that book now. Is that right? And that there was a special on it. So it's available, and um, I think you'll put you'll have in the show notes the link for the promo code for twenty five percent off which is a great screaming deal. 25 is good. Okay. And um, so we'll have that available if people are looking at this. But then also, where can people find you if they have questions? Well, that's an interesting thing. <laughs> um, usually I give out my email. So it's Y-D-A-R-C. So it's Y-D-R-C at AOL.com. I'm an old timer. I use AOL. Um, I prefer not to be called on the phone. I prefer to have an email that kind of lets me know what they're interested in, um, if it merits more development, or if it's just a quick answer I could give them. Um, the book is also available on Amazon if anybody wants to look at it, but you're not going to get the 25% off there. So the 25% off is a better deal with the Springer website. Okay. And and that's limited time, but we'll have all of that in the show notes. Perfect. And Deb, um, even though you've been on the show before, why don't you let us know your best contact as well? So my website is fearlesswellness.com. And there'll actually be a page on the website about the book. My email and other contact information is there. Excellent. Do you have any last words for those that are listening? Well, I would say that if you have something that you want to develop into a book or publish, um, that you should go for it. Because when I started, I had never done anything like it. I mean, I had done work in my master's program, but nothing for myself and in the area that I was really specializing in. So I think you should go for it. And I think you should look for some support group around you, family, friends, whatever. My family has always been really good to just leave me alone while I'm, <laughs> while I'm writing. So family, friends, whomever you can muster, church group, whatever, to um, help you. Um, and it helps to tell somebody else you're doing it. Because when you tell somebody else that you're doing it, it's more, it's kind of like you've made a commitment and they're going to ask you about it. So you, have, you have to kind of push yourself forward a little bit. Yeah. Agreed. Accountability partners are golden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Deb? I would say it's hard. It's challenging and very much worth it. It's, it's very satisfying. Um, 
and uh, I'll look back at a chapter and go, oh, did I write that? That's really good. (laughs) (laughs) With surprise. um, And I also would say that one of the benefits of collaborating is Yvonne and I had worked together, like I said, for a number of years, but I think we got to know each other um, better. And we also had fun while we were doing this. It was, you know, we talked about the hard parts, but there was also, you know, you, you can laugh a little bit about it and laughing at myself. I would uh, say that it was uh, not easy, but absolutely worth it. It's quite gratifying to look back and um, say, I really did that, uh, knowing how much work it was. And when I read a chapter and I see a, a paragraph that I'm especially fond of, I say, well, look at that. <laughs> I'm surprised I did that so well. And I also think that even though Yvonne and I have known each other for years and worked together on lots of things and had dinner and met with colleagues, that this is a special kind of relationship that we uh, we worked hard and we talked about the challenges, but it was also fun. I think we we had a we had episodes of of a good time and some laughter and um, all in all, it was a very positive experience, and I'm very glad we did it. And I'm grateful she pushed me that last time. Very good. So we all need a little push, and it sounds like collaboration is certainly a good way to go. You know, I have done so much collaboration um, throughout my career that it kind of comes naturally to me. So I'm really comfortable with it, and I think the more you do, the more you get even the more you learn about yourself, your practice, and what you can provide to other providers and patients. So I think it's, it's something that is very uh, rewarding. Thank you both to Yvonne and Deb for taking time out to share their journey in book writing with us today. Make sure you take the time to head over to npbusiness.com forward slash podcasts, where you'll find show notes for today's episodes, as well as links and resources, contact information, and also that link that you can access this book for 25% off until December 31st, 2010. While you're at the blog, make sure that you go ahead and look around and note the education, resources, and support that are available to you on the topic of the business of healthcare, practice, business startup, and so much more. That's npbusiness.com. So again, this is Barbara C. Phillips, nurse practitioner and founder of Nurse Practitioner Business Owner. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to spend time with me today. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode of the NP Business Matters podcast. Bye-bye now. (laughs) 